Welcome, uh, welcome, one and all, to Free Markets Green Earth, episode number 47. I'm Nikki P, here as always with Mr. Ben, the Liberty Hippie. How are we doing there, Ben? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Nikki? I'm, I'm going to try to say um a lot less, a lot, a lot, a lot less no, you exasperation just, in my voice. and Just just let it rip. I, I signed up to do the editing. I do the editing. I could just as soon leave it exactly as is and want to make a difference. You know, yeah, I suppose. I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing good. Uh, we have a, a guest on today that I've been talking to for a while about getting on, and the problem is he just apparently is an expert on everything, and can talk about all things. So I've I, I've never been able to get him to commit to a single thing to make an actual episode about. It. He's like, let's just talk about everything. I'm like, yeah, but then I have to come up with a title that encompasses everything, and that's gonna suck. So I did pin him down essentially on the idea of talking about talking about the environment. So why don't we welcome our guest, Mr. Drake Chavo Lundstrom. Um, Woo. <laughs> and, and I, well, and I yeah. mispronounced at least most of that. So don't worry about it. My, most Americans can't do that oh, noise for Br- Portuguese, but you won't. Doesn't matter too much, except if you're asking someone for bread, the difference between bread and male genitals is the nasal vowel. So well, that's funny because I was actually just about to ask you: Does it affect whether or not I'm asking for sex? So not apparently, this word, but a different word it would. Apparently, I can get sex while asking for bread. Yes, that's not entirely a bad thing. Just avoid gay bakers. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to the show. Starting off on a lively foot. Of course, <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I told you you can do any topic, so you pick it because I'm lazy. Well, I cannot argue with that. Much of this show has been me pawning off my desire to not think about things to Ben. I think it goes both ways. I will show up and talk my ass off, but uh, I don't want to commit to anything. Just send them the link, and if they want to do it, we'll, we'll make it happen. Can we, can we just do that? So, oh, show. so why don't you, you tell us a little bit, how did you get interested in all this stuff, like the whole environment crap i'm looking at you you're a pretty clean cut guy you look like you got a professional career and i'm a square what can i say so you want to more about who got into the environment or free markets or kind of both well we'll talk about the environment then we'll 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 see how that how that works with what i imagine yeah how you got into free markets so i can't think of any really specific instance but kind of always just grew up around nature my dad's originally from sweden so they have a big culture of he wouldn't let us join the Boy Scouts because it was reindeer. Yes, they have reindeer too. Reindeer turkey is delicious, by the way. Like <laughs> Rudolph, just right. I imagine it would have to be. But he would never let us join the Boy Scouts because it was like too slow. Like he just gave us our first carving knife at like four years old and said, Stop if anyone gets within 10 feet of you. Otherwise, figure it out. And took us like a bit through the woods. We lived in a sailboat for a while and traveled and did lots of fishing and like be on an island where we're the only people on the island. So there's lots of exploring nature. Now I'm in Ohio, so not as much that we can do, but try to go on hikes every so often. And now with the COVID stuff, it's the only thing open. So we've been doing eight or so miles each weekend or even like twice a week when I was furloughed for a bit. So lots of time spent in nature and I just really enjoy it. But then also a bunch of the nature stuff is kind of more in terms of pushing back against people who use environmentalism as a cover to really attack people, make their lives worse. Because I do volunteer work and really care about humans having good quality lives, especially if you've lived for some time in a third world country, you understand that they can't just do with a little bit less efficient of an energy system. I'm sorry for letting this bleeding heart on the show, Ben. God. Yeah, no, I'm just keep going on about people. What a what a guy. Come on, let's talk more about like money and shit, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't. I'm resist. also Jewish, but I mean, I wasn't gonna make a note, but I mean, I I do have you on video, so yeah. <laughs> you you look like all those characters in those movies about World War II that I've seen. So uh. mostly you just mostly I think it's that shirt. You look like you could have been in Swing Kids. So huh? I'm not actually familiar with the movie. I don't know it specifically about American swing records in Nazi Germany oh. and like the dance halls and stuff that were illegal. It's a very interesting movie. Yeah. 
Sounds like something Thaddeus Russell write about. I think he has tangentially. It's a really cool. It's a. It is a really good movie though. Great soundtrack because it's all like Benny Goodman and stuff. I think he, put it in the show notes so I can find it. <laughs> I'll probably we'll do that now. So anyway, so so continue. That so gr- growing up, I'm, I'm curious. Like in in Sweden and and being outdoors and stuff. Was that like a I don't know how, how universal was that? Was that something like all the kids were doing, or is it just kind of like you guys were sort of fringy with that so that was my dad not me so he kind of passed on some of it but not as much just because restrictions in columbus ohio but he would take us to like the woods and like okay here's how you make your own bow and arrow start shooting things with it i don't know yeah nice and so how about like the free market side of things how did how do you uh find yourself where you're hanging out with libertarian types and give a shit about the environment yeah so also came a bit from my dad because he was uh he read ayn rand back when he was in Sweden and Sweden is a very, they have a very anti-individualist culture, kind of like you can never brag about your success. It's looked down upon very harshly to be rich, things like that, much more so than America. And kind of Ayn Rand was his first exposure to someone who said, it's actually good to be a business person and successful. So that was really influential on him. He mentioned that to us. And then when I went off to college, I found this random dunk tank. I was like, oh, this group is a dunk tank. And I walk up to it and they have a copy of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugging the Table. I'm like, what? Oh, I've heard of that book. And they gave me a copy and it had like a meeting invite to it. I still have not read the first page, even though it's been like uh, six years now. It's kind of a pride thing at this point where it's like everyone claims I ran libertarians come from Ayn Rand that I can still say I haven't read, read a page of her writing. So I don't know if I ever will break and read the book. I mean, I get the, I get the pride thing, but yeah. I enjoy the book. There's a lot of people that don't like the book. Yeah. Um, I like it because it feels like it's written for autistic people. <laughs> like her characters are very wooden and two dimensional in certain ways. And I appreciate it. So easy to follow what's going on. Well, definitely that. But no, I mean, like, they're very, like, her characters, there's not usually a whole, not usually a lot of gray area emotionally for them. A lot of what they do is very, I feel this way, and therefore, this is the way I must act (laughs) in accordance with my feelings. Okay. Hmm. So I'm not sure if that makes me more or less likely to read the book. Not gonna lie, probably doesn't affect it one way or the other because yours is uh, is about pride. So well, it's not just that, but like it sort of turned a little bit into that. But joined the Young Americans Liberty chapter because everyone coming to college. 2013 and later kind of got picked up by the remains of the Ron Paul revolution because that's what started the Young Americans Liberty chapter on the campus. And I ended up taking it over and I liked learning, went through like all of Tom Wood's podcasts and then like another many of them, like just okay. go through the whole backlogs of a bunch of podcasts to learn a bit, read some books, but mostly audio. And also as a, uh, our club, the big thing that we would do to attract people is we would host a debate each semester, starting with my second semester in the club, I think, where we would have Republicans, Libertarians, Democrats, and then eventually we added Socialists on stage. And we always had a competition to see who was in it. And I kept taking the stage. Maybe I want to say I was probably in the debate five out of the first eight debates. And the ones I wasn't in was because I was not available. Okay. Yeah. So I have, and I enjoy being correct. (laughs) And I just, and I also just really like learning things. So I learned enough that that's how I also became a researcher with Freedom Tunes is that I was in his Patreon and he has these Google Hangouts and he stuff was coming up in the group and people said something and then I could provide an exact number and citation for it. And just all of a sudden the hangout chat was full of like 20 links that I posted there. He's like, Hey, can you send those to me afterwards? Oh, and this question and this question. Then all of a sudden I ended up doing some research for him. I haven't, I don't do a lot of his videos, but a couple of the ones that are more stat heavy, Mm -hmm. um, if you see Drake as a citation at the end of it, that'll be me. Nice. Nice. And, and based on your timeline, it is safe to uh, say you are a baby. And that's I also am. interesting. 24. Good Lord. <laughs> Not to be 24 again. <laughs> so that actually kind of it colors 
the conversation I wanted to have with you a little bit because you're closer to what I would kind of consider the belly of the beast as far as giving the youth their marching orders when it comes to this. Like, yep. I know what it was like when I went to college, which it was definitely there. And, you know, I remember taking all my environmental ethics courses and stuff like that. And I remember you know, the way people talked about it. But what what is the, the tenor in colleges, you know, closer to this time period when it comes to this stuff? What did you go to college for? I'm curious. Mechanical engineering. Okay. So I didn't run into it too much. What I'd run into was a lot of people on campus that really cared about it, that had majors that weren't really much work. And then the other engineers, a few of them kind of cared, but it was kind of like, yeah, I want to do real things and make money and kind of ignored the people doing the crazy stuff and all the stunts. But it, I mean, it's no surprise it's people with liberal arts degree. Yeah, but it's like when you that tend to be those. But every time you walk through campus, there's someone with a sign this to divest from fossil fuels, do this, like just essentially connecting signatures mostly. I'm, I'm only about divesting from Israel. That's the only thing I want to divest from. Well, that's the one thing that will get you censured. So watch yeah. out. <laughs> we can talk about Sad Israel. Man. Is that what you want to turn to? Now, is this something that you do spend a fair amount of time yourself talking about? I know anytime I mention it, you're always on my page like, yeah, dude, let's 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 go. Let's talk about it. So clearly it's something that like you, you feel an interest and a reason to kind of hit go on. Is it something that you did while you were in college, like it, as opposed to the other engineering students? Or is it something you picked up after the fact? Yeah. So I wasn't much of a partier and I had a apartment to myself. Not on purpose, but every single time I tried to arrange a roommate, something went wrong. So I was probably doing a solid five or six hours a day plus a podcast for a year or two. So you can get through a lot of material. <laughs> like I like I went through the entire all archives of Tom Woods, Jason Stapleton, Dave Smith, a Power Hour, which is Alex Epstein, Lines of Liberty, like name a libertarian podcast. And when I was done with college, I had finished their entire archive and them would like message them a bit about it if I found it interesting. It's dangerous. Yeah, no, I can't do that anymore. I can do like a bit, but I've, there's a lot of podcasts now where I do not keep up to date. So that's what I needed to do with This Week in Liverpods. I need to find a college student to yeah. do listening for me. <laughs> yeah, because col college used to take 45 hours a week on average for like all the studying and tests. And now on average, it takes like 27 if you can get in the college, the rest of it's pretty easy. Like engineering is a bit harder, but it's still like nowhere near the amount of time you put in with a job, even yeah. with like a regular 40 hour a week, no overtime. I know. Jobs suck. College was awesome. But money is nice. Really nice. I'll tell you when I find some of it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You've mentioned a lot of different topics when we've talked. What is the thing that like really interests you in the environmental movement? Is there something in particular that you really focus on or just... In general, when it comes up, it, it interests you. I think the one that still bothers me is actually from one of the debates where I'll start off first with saying how not to debate environmentalism from like the capitalist point of view. So this was my like second time. So I wasn't that good yet. And they had been pushing for climate change to be in the debate because the Democrats always wanted it in the debate because they knew it's, it's something that some of them actually care about. And others of them just think that that's a topic where they're going to win on. And like the, if you show well, you get more people to join your club, you do better, et cetera, et cetera. So they bring up climate change. And I was, and we were also doing pair debates just because college students aren't policy experts and everything. So you'd always have two people for each group to kind of make it easier to trade off. Yeah. So I was yeah. the second one to go up to my pair and it had been going a little bit falling apart because the, the other guy on my team messed up his answer. He had like a bit of a memorized response, but it was a little bit to the wrong question. So it didn't hit well. And I go up there all like fire and brimstone of like acid rain was fake. Global cooling was fake. All of this is fake. Why do you? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. We had people in the audience like reading, yelling articles at us from the audience of like trying to disprove our citation, like trying to say like this article says that you're all wrong and they're gonna burn and the Antarctic's melting and like it was not great. But the final rebuttal of that, the Democrats had it, and out of out of everything they said, they come back to the final rebuttal and they say there is this one. One town in Africa, they gave a name of it, and this town has been in a drought for like five years. 
and they're struggling and poor and some of them are dying. And if you like don't help climate change, we can't help these people, something like that. And it just burned me up inside that I hadn't gone into it well enough to like actually explain that the solution isn't remove humans from the environment. It's have humans work with the environment to make humans and the environment better off. That if you have this person that is burning up and without water and everything, like if someone is living in a poor town in India with like a heat index of 120 degrees and people are dying of heat stroke, the solution isn't do some large scale policy changes that maybe in 80 years, make it one degree cooler than it would have been otherwise. It's get them a freaking air conditioner like now. <laughs> and this city is like the response I want to have is we could also build them a well or get water to them or do something that we could like let humans interact with the environment to make an environment that while beautiful is sometimes dangerous, kind of safer without just destroying it because the the position that people have is either you just like it's destroy the environment or do nothing and there's no recognition that doing nothing is also really bad for humans and that we can interact without destroying the environment I don't know that I don't know if that was an answer in there somewhere. Well, no, no, it was because I mean I'm telling you right now. I, the, my first instinct is yeah. How about you don't live in the fucking desert? Like that's yeah. the first thing I think of. Like maybe choosing to stay in a place that wants to kill you is probably not the best course of action. I'm sure there's places that you can go. Yeah, but but you're right. I mean, there I've I've had that argument even about here in the states when you talk about I would just prefer people relocate to places that suit their politics better. Yeah, and the thing you'll hear is some people do too poor to have that luxury and it's like okay well no, that, that is true for some areas like some people that like we were in tunisia for a bit which is a not great country that is mostly a desert we were there in like 2002 and people were legitimately too poor to get out of the country and even if they wanted to they had a dictator at the time that would have like that searched anyone any car or boat leaving the country to stop mm-hmm. people from fleeing and, and- Africa is an interesting situation, I think, because it, it does. It is difficult to move when you have some of those borders and, and where are you actually moving into and where where are you relocating to and, and how do you get out of there, you know? Um, like, I think when you look at stateside things, it, it is a little different. That that cost argument is, uh, I don't know, it's possible. It's doable. It's, you know, if, if it's going to make your life better, you know, why wouldn't you? I mean, in general, in the U.S., you don't have to go very far <laughs> to change a lot of things. But yeah, I get it. You know, in like Tunisia, there's you've got some political issues. Yeah. Most of which I'm pretty sure our nation helps to exasperate. But well, oh, that's neither here nor there, you know. Just a little bit. So what are the pushbacks that you encounter most often, like from people? The original pushbacks that I encountered were essentially that... You're a climate denier. Look at the consensus science. People are going to die. Think about the great-grandchildren, all of that. But as I've gotten better, that's kind of what I've gotten good at. If you're having the conversation right, it'll never come up. Mm -hmm. Well, I I try to, especially with this show, I definitely try to approach things from a position of, look, I I care about this. It's not like we're, we're environmentalists too. We may have different conclusions and different things that we think. But at the end of it, I, I want the, the world to be better for us and the animals and the plants and everybody else. So you know, the old Scott Horton fight the left from the left, the right from the right kind of tactic is generally what I try to espouse. Yeah, no, that's definitely the, one of the big things I do now is you start with your values of like, this is what I find important, which is like, I want humans to live happy lives and I think that nature is important and beautiful and like, I don't want to be part of a humanity that doesn't have woods to hike in. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I like that beyond even just the prettiness, even just in terms of like mental health and stuff, like humans are meant to have some interaction with more raw nature. And if you start with that and then you also, instead of like saying you're wrong, this is right, whatever, you tell the story of like how you were convinced and give them kind of give them your reasoning, the facts that you saw, whatever, and let them make their own conclusions. It's not like people instantly change their mind or whatever, but they listen and they actually take you seriously and think about it. And some of them will change their minds. Other ones just kind of... You may plant some seeds and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Fungi spores. I mean, Ben wasn't wasn't on board for a long while. It was like one of his big hangups before kind of coming over this way. So at some point, somebody got to him. Uh, yeah, I think it's just common, common sense, more working on the, the principled end of things, I guess. I don't know. It's more... I don't know. The the the, the property rights of, of 
large expanses. That's what that's what always kind of throws me a little bit. Some of the the water and and air. You've been hanging out with too many Georgists, bro. Maybe I have. No, no, I haven't. I haven't. But it's just you know where where my thinking is was and how it how it tends to go. Do you, do you have any conversations like outside of uh, the internet? Um, yeah, because I was in the debate group, so a lot of it was in person. I guess that wasn't that long ago for you. Yeah, well, it's also, I graduated two years ago, but I'm still in the chat. And now with the coronavirus, we're having uh, online meetings, so it's, I can join okay. in, even though I'm like two hours away. So I'll hop on and be a font of knowledge. So like just a week ago, someone was like, hey, Drake, are you sure about the environment stuff? Can you just like walk me through it again one more time? Because I heard, I saw this new article that said CO2 is making hurricanes worse and we're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, they've been saying that for a um, hundred years now, it feels like. They have, they have. And here's, and the crazy thing is still what people are told and not told. Because one of the other big things I'll start with is like, give them a pretty irrefutable, interesting fact and not force a conclusion on them, but kind of let people draw their own things. That's the thing is people, you can never convince someone, you can only let them convince themselves. Yeah. So I asked three people, different like friends that aren't really political stuff. Although one actually was a student that just is finished their AP environmental science course. So they know a bit, they should have known a bit about the environment. And I asked them all the question over the last hundred years, has human deaths from the climate gone up or down and about how much? And they answered, stayed the same, increased by 10%, increased by 50%. Just asked a random group of three different people. And I assume you know the number since I remember one of you mentioned moral case of fossil fuels. I, I don't know it offhand, but I, I know the, the premise is, uh, no, the world is much better for people than it was yeah. by like a lot. Dec- decreased by 97%. It's not even like it decreased a bunch, then stopped. It's like it's de- it's been cut in half every single decade for the past like 110 years. Yeah. And then you tell them, they're like, what? That can't be right. And you're like, well, it like you like thunderstorms. They're really pretty, right? Well, how much would a thunderstorm suck if you were like in a really crummy shack? A grass hut. In the- yeah. Like, <laughs> you get uh, pneumonia instead of enjoying this pretty thunderstorm. Or what if a drought happens right now? Oh, you can just bring in water or when the famine comes after the drought, you can just bring in food. Huh? I guess that would change a lot. Wouldn't it? No, absolutely. I mean, my big thing, my, the big thing that I kind of, you run into the big thing is that people that kind of believe humanity doesn't have a right to be here. Like we just need to go and leave it to the animals and stuff. And the big thing that I, I try to bring to the table now is okay. So let's presume you're right. Like, I'll acquiesce absolutely everything to you. What I will say is, is humanity going to irreparably destroy nature or or will nature prevail? Because that's what nature does. And I've never, I've personally never had anyone say no. I've never had anybody say that nature is going to be completely decimated and wiped out because of humanity. Nobody believes that's possible. So what I always want to say is, okay, then why wouldn't we err on the side that allows human life to flourish? And let's just see how this experiment goes. You're right. Maybe we wipe ourselves out. Then you get what you want anyways. But either way, humanity goes away at the end of it if you're right or wrong if we do what we want. So why wouldn't we choose the path that allows us to attempt to thrive versus just, you know, committing sepico right now or whatever it's called? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think people like get it, though. I don't I, I don't think a lot of people realize it. Right. Like realize that when you're advocating for some of that stuff like you're you're when you look like like you're environmental science guys right you're in class like what are they learning you know and they don't know some of that that information probably because it's you know well they look at it like bill gates does they look at it as like not making new people they don't look at it as killing off the current people and they think that's different somehow but but it's removed right like you're you're i mean how many people, you know, I don't know how long it took, you know, for me to, to figure it out, but like, I don't think that the general person off the street, like can think outside the box, right? When you think about those things, when you think about, you know, harming someone in, in Africa or whatever, or like reducing, right? Reducing what we have, like we could probably do with less right here, but somewhere else 
they probably can't, right? Yeah, that person needs that well. They need that that air conditioning to make their place habitable. Maybe we could dial it back. Maybe we don't have to have our AC set at like 69 when it's 100 degrees outside or whatever. Disconnect isn't like it's people are thinking here and what they see outside their house in a, a privileged society and they don't see like what kind of havoc that's going to wreak on the the bottom echelons of, of the world, you know? Well, a good example of that is the coronavirus stuff where a bunch of people are saying, hey, what's the big deal? Just stay home for a while. But then if you look worldwide, it's something like 130 million people that are now going to be at the brink of starvation yeah. due to shutdowns from coronavirus because it's hard to realize that we supply most of the world's food. Yeah, well, it's how different everyone's bubble is. Yeah. It's like you think, oh, sure, the, I've seen poor people in like Cleveland or Columbus, so I know what poor is. But poor in Brazil or somewhere is not the same as poor in the U.S. And that, or that people kind of think that it, it's a. I forget the fallacy is but people think that things are similar to what they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. So you think kind of everyone's kind of just like you. And it's like, no, there are people that have very different lives. I don't remember, but I think it's like a, is that part of, would that be part of normalcy bias? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like a, a sixth of the world has less electric uses less electrical power each year than a uh, average refrigerator. Mm -hmm. something like that it's it's a lot of people don't have anything that we take for granted and but it's hard to see that when you're you've only ever lived in the u.s and even if you've left the u.s it's hard to kind of remember just how extreme that difference is and that's it right it's, it's not something that we're educated about that that whether it's on the news or in school those aren't things that we're thinking about you know it is it's when I think of poor people, I think of the poor people that live in the local city, not like, you know, the guy that's surviving on 30 cents a day. Well, I mean, but that, that almost seems disingenuous to say because you have those same people that are the same ones that'll say, you know, oh, well, you got to think of the children that are starving in other countries and things like that. So they, they realize that poverty like that exists. Uh, they just... I don't think they make the connection. I don't think they realize what it takes to make that poverty into what we have. Yeah. You know, that's like the thing that Alec, you know, Alex Epstein will talk about is that it, it, it takes a lot of fossil fuels to make a, a a place as habitable to live in as we have here. Like it takes a lot of moving things from one place to another. It's a lot of burning fossil fuels. Yeah, that is. I mean, you, 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 you think that that's like a different thing, Drake? Well, there's a, there's a few different groups of people. There are some people that are so committed that, that are actually wanting there to be less people. And then there are a lot of people that have been told that being pro-environmentalism or pro-stopping -cli climate change, whatever, is good and helps people. And people, you, you have a limited amount of processing power, like thinking time in your brain, and it's not an issue that really affects you much personally. And you've been told by everyone, this is right. So why would you bother to like do a deep dive and read these books and question it? People are told that we need to act now to save the environment since they're children. Like, why would you ask any question? I mean, I remember Captain Planet, bruh. Yeah, no, and if you grow up that way and you're told like he doesn't, you don't know what Captain Planet is. <laughs> no, I know what Captain Planet is, but I, I right. very vague memories of the blue skin man. I've I've <laughs> I've often thought about the, just making turning the show into uh, recaps discussion about yeah recaps of planet Captain Planet episodes. Allowed we'll to wait till next episode then. Just just oh, we'll, we'll go episode by episode through the series. <sighs> Lord. Make bonus content. <laughs> we can wait. Should, should that be bonus content? We just get hammered drunk and talk and like watch episodes of Captain <laughs> Planet and do commentary. It wouldn't be the weirdest bonus content for Libertarian Podcast. Oh, I have no doubt about that. I kind of like this idea now, Ben. <laughs> so, so we'll do like a regular episode and like drink so that when we're done with the episode, we just watch an episode of Captain Planet yeah. and record our commentary. Uh, yeah, yeah maybe. do it. Do that. I mean, we, we, we always stay on here longer than the episode, anyways. So, yeah. You know, oh, Lordy, get myself I in trouble. Decentralized Revolution is a new podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Our goal is to revolutionize the LP by focusing on Austrian economics, radical political decentralization, and by supporting strong local candidates. On Decentralized Revolution, we talk about these ideas in long-form interviews with the most interesting people in the Libertarian movement, people like Dave Smith, Scott Horton, Maj Touré, and Jacob Hornberger. 
If you're ready to take human action with us, check out Decentralized Revolution. Hi folks, Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen, as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. What was the tenor like of society and stuff kind of did you feel growing up? Because like I said, I know obviously you didn't grow up in a world with Captain Planet, but I think you grew up with things that were a little bit more insidious than even that. How does it? Captain Planet made it an argument of saying of saying going for the planet is good and you need to learn this. And when I grew up, there wasn't an argument. It was just this is it. These are the facts. Like you must recycle if you don't. Whatever. Oh, it's Earth Day. We all got to go all out and plant a tree and everything. And that's that's such a weird paradigm to imagine. It's something that there was never a question about. It's just one thing, the minimum wage. Like there's some other topics that it's just until I got to college, I had never even heard someone express doubt. It was just something that's totally obvious. And as we, the bill becomes a law and things get pressed properly, things will get better. Well, I know, like, I'll talk to people about college. College was the same way for me. I never once in my life considered whether or not I was going to college. Yeah. That's just what you do after high school. In retrospect, I probably shouldn't have gone to college. There are plenty of other things I could have done. I I, I should have just went out and started a band and, and did that. I'd probably have been much further along in a career. Cheaper. Probably definitely. Well, I could make money doing the one versus the other, costing me lots and lots of money. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I get that. Like, it's just... It, it, it takes it from uh, the background to, you know, just the natural state of things. But that, but that, the nice thing with that is that when you confront someone say, hey, when you're talking about minimizing human impact, if I was talking about minimizing mosquito impact, that would mean killing all the mosquitoes. It's not a good way of saying things. It's a little bit of, feels a little bit genocidal when you say you want to minimize human impact. Well, it's just... Think through it. And and when they they actually take both of that and like, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, it's like I was just saying, like in their heads, they think of it as let's stop people from procreating it and not let's get rid of people that are already here. They have it worked out in their brain of a very one of one very specific way that you would do that. That sounds pretty nice. But that also means, oh, wait, so you're going to forcibly stop people from having kids if they want to. What makes gives you the right to do that? Stuff like that. A lot of students I run into, like there are some of the more activist ones that'll be for that, but most of them aren't even for like stopping population stuff. At least people that I was around generally didn't care about that. They were just like lowering human impact, whatever that meant. But if you think about it for a minute, yeah, that would probably mean reducing the number of people, but no one thinks about it for a minute. Well, and I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about. Like, that's why I like that Planet of the Humans documentary, because, I mean, he comes right out and says, I want there to be less people. Like, that's the whole point of that movie. And I don't I, I don't think I, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think most most people really want that. They don't they don't think it through enough to know that that's what the people that really lead them around want. Yeah. Right. And so if you have someone that's expressly saying, I want there to be less people like that. That's going to turn them off to the more hardcore messages and, and hopefully turn them in a more reasonable direction. So I'm almost yeah. I'm almost happy at the number of people that feel emboldened to say what they're going to say. Yeah, there's a few others. Um, I know the book Merchants of Despair, which is kind of a play on Merchants of Doubt, just kind of goes through all the catastrophic predictions and how very anti-human there are. Moral Case for Fossil Fuels is a section in it where he goes through some of the quotes of leading environmentalists saying that having a clean and limited source of energy would be like giving an idiot child a machine gun. They say things that are explicitly anti-development, which is just, it's nice they come out and say it. And I'm sure that uh, the new version of Moral Case or Fossil Fuels will have even more quotes like that. I, I haven't bought my copy because I know he's working on it and I'm hoping he does a new audiobook. So I, I haven't bought it because of that. Yeah, no, I've I've been holding off and recommending it to people for that reason. I hope he does the audiobook again. It went, came out really well and it's, he keeps pushing it back. It's supposed to be like August now. Well, when Who, I was who is this? when I was talking to uh, Stefan, he said it's looking like 2021 at this point. No, <laughs> I know. 
I was not excited about that. Um, who does that Merchants of Despair book out of curiosity? Uh, I'd have to look it Don't up. Don't worry about it. I can look it up later. I, I got the, the title down on the, the links section. So, but yeah, because it's, I mean, there's this book called Merchants of Doubt, which just goes through and tries to say that the same people that said that smoking's not bad for you are now saying climate change is not a big deal. And there's some interesting information in the book, but most of it's saying that, hey, because these three people are in a movement and were in a bad movement previously, that means a new movement must be bad. Yeah. Not a, that's a logical fallacy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's a logical fallacy. I mean, it works for them from a, uh, a rhetoric for, for a rhetorical angle because you know, they, what they're doing is they're just calling people evil and saying evil by association. Yeah. And some friends of mine were like forced to do a for, friend of mine was forced to do a book report on it. It's a, book that they'll recommend us like this is the real good information on how everything works <laughs> that, it, it, yeah it is it's, it's disturbing how that that works but um and then they all ignore nuclear yeah why, why is that um so the nuclear one's interesting it actually comes from the origin of the environmentalist movement because the environmentalist movement kind of came out of world war ii and was a bit almost a depressing movement of it had the normal signs of depression, which is I am bad, the world is bad, and the future is bad. Like if someone's talking like that, they need some love and support and you should give it to them. <laughs> but the, that was essentially the whole motto of the environmentalist movement. But they coming out of World War II were really terrified about nuclear weapons for good reasons. But they kind of then rolled that and they were starting to stop nuclear testing and other things like that. Then they rolled that over into nuclear power. And then I've always opposed nuclear power. And one of the sure signs of that is when the argument keeps changing, but it always has the same conclusions. Oh, yeah. And that's been a lot of it for the nuclear stuff. I mean, that's global warming, like yeah, climate yeah. change. It's because it's been four or five different movements. It just all happens to have the same outcomes. Yeah. But and one of the interesting ones that I, uh, I don't remember where it came up in the art in the conversation you had with the uh, host of the Scottish Liberty podcast. It is a something. Anthony Samaroff. Yep. Um, there's this, okay, it's a little bit of a technical thing. When you talk about radiation being deadly at really high doses, radiation is very deadly and at medium dose, like pretty high doses, it's like pretty deadly, but not totally impossibly curable. But at low doses, there's an argument about what it does. There's essentially three models. One that says if, if a hundred, if a hundred doses kills you hundred percent of the time, 50 kills you 50%, one kills you 1%. So it's a linear all the way down to low threshold model, right? Mm -hmm. Another model says it's linear with a cutoff. So like under 10 doses, it just does nothing. Like you just, you're fine. Then there's- And the third one talks about superpowers. Pretty much. So the third model is the hormetic one, which says if you have high doses, kills you, pretty high doses also can kill you. But low doses are act like a dose of zero is actually more deadly than a dose of a little bit. Interesting. So think about it like if you were lifting weights. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with it. Yeah, if I dropped a thousand pounds on you, you're probably not in good shape. 500 pounds, you may live. But if you pick up like 50 pounds a couple of times every day, you're going to be a lot healthier than if you do nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how it is some radiation. Well, I mean, your body like it, it does that with basically all stressors to it. Like Literally everything. And we evolved in a world with radiation and like radiation from the sun is really not any different than radiation from nuclear power plants. Like you're, you're more irradiated by eating a banana than you are by living near a nuclear power plant for a year. <laughs> It has potassium in it. So I can't eat bananas, right? But and but they even know these studies with uh, mice where they where they shut them off from the background radiation of the universe because there's always like some radiation coming in from the sky and they shut them off from everything. The mice are much less healthy and die faster. So well, and that was one of the things that when I I, I mean I, I was following Fukushima really religiously for a while. It happened when I was in electrical school. Okay, and it was just like I, every day in class while I'm waiting for the teachers to get there, like I was watching it religiously and I followed it a lot longer than most people did but even eventually i just kind of gave it up but one of the things that they kept talking about was the fact that they'd they kept having to actually change what is referred to as a safe dose of radiation yeah because it became apparent almost immediately that when that dumped into the ocean it was going to very quickly make 
every place on the planet completely untenable to live by safety standards if it didn't change. Yep. And so as opposed to telling everyone out there that they're going to die, you change the number and make that number okay. Now, it could be that it is okay. I don't know. I'm not, you know, a radiation expert. So, but, you know, it is something that it does weigh on my mind. Like, why is is that a political solution or is that just the science changing with new information? No, so it's actually, it was a political issue to start with that then became accepted science. What happened was the scientists researching radiation felt that it was their moral duty to make the world leaders as scared as possible of using nuclear weapons. Mm. They wanted the, the leaders to think that if you use the nuke, that area is now uninhabitable forever and the cloud of radiation will blow across, across the Atlantic and kill you too. Because they wanted there not to be nuclear holocaust. And I'm like, I am anti-nuclear Holocaust. I know, controversial (laughs) position. So like, I see why they did it, but that white lie now is carried over and made it so that there's a lot of this. It just isn't true. Like there are areas of the world that have different levels of background radiation. Like the normal level of background radiation, which is mostly from nature, is around uh, 3.6 milla, I forget what this unit's called. It's SV Sevets or something. I should probably look up what it is before I say it. Uh, radiation measurement unit. <laughs> Give me a sec. Severts? Severts. I'm going to say Severts, and I don't care if it's wrong. <laughs> Someone should give your show hate mail because I'm mispronouncing things. But the 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 EPA's yearly limit on radiation exposure is one millisievert. The average person from 85% nature gets around 3.7 millisieverts. Regions of the world, like beaches in Brazil and a couple other random beaches in the world that have higher radiation due to radon gas, get something like 8 millisieverts, and areas that have that higher level actually have slightly lower cancer rates on average. It's not obvious that this is enough to do anything. The EPA's recommended level is 1 millisievert. The lowest level that they've linked to any kind of cancer is 100. Okay. Yeah, It's it, so it, it's just... It's not clear how much is dangerous, but by their, uh, the the policy of the nuclear regulatory agency is the lower, the better, like as lowest we can get it. And it's actually a similar thing they do to other substances. Like the same kind of hormetic model applies, like you said, to all stressors. It even applies to things like coal pollution. If you live in a totally clean house, you get more asthma, more allergies. Like you've heard all the stuff like if a kid growing up with a dog is less likely Mm -hmm. to get allergies and things like that. You should play around the dirt a bit to build up your immune system. I'm terrible about washing my hands. Yeah, probably good for you. Because I've always lived like, you know, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger to a degree. Exactly. I will admit that I did kind of start clean, going a little nuts on the uh, cleaning and touching things when the coronavirus thing happened just to be on the safe side for a while. Makes sense. I've, I've loosened up a little bit. <laughs> with the with something like coal pollution, there the way that they say like Obama's Clean Air Act saved however many thousands of lives. And the way they do that is they say at this super high level of pollution, this many people die, this level, this many people die. So we can assume every single marginal decrease in coal pollution saves the same number of lives. So even though we can't find a single person in the US who died of coal pollution that we like an autopsy of, we can still assume the Clean Air Act saved 80,000 lives. Like by their own metrics, Dirty air in the U.S. is the third leading cause of death. That's <laughs> insane. I like it. I like that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, if it can make people stop smoking, I'm more interested in it. Oh, yeah. And that's the other funny thing is like the same pollution they say kills you from coal um, is found like a thousand times more concentrated in cigarettes. So by their math, also like you should die the second you take like two puffs of a cigarette. Oh, man. It's really bad, but they're the monopoly. They have the guns. Well, it's settled science, don't you know? No, I was going to say, I think that's that's when you boil it all down and it all gets distilled down. That That's what's wild is is this is science, right? In, in big old air quotes, like this is science. This is what science tells us. And you can't argue with science and science is right. And, you know, you're, you're a loon if you think think not. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing to me. But uh, the all, other thing with that is that people don't realize when they say it's settled science, people deliberately fudge what that means. Mm -hmm. Because even if, so there's problems with the surveys that found 97% of scientists agree. They're not like entirely good. Let's just take them at face value. So there's a bunch of things that are all called global warming. First, does CO2 
on like have a greenhouse effect to make things warmer. Then there is are humans emitting enough CO2 to have an impact on the atmosphere? And then it's like humans are emitting on the atmosphere and the at- world's getting warmer. And then there's like the world's getting warmer and that's bad. That's a separate question. And then it's like hurricanes, the droughts, ice caps, flooding, that the that the consequences of this global warming are worse than the benefits of fossil fuel. There's like a lot of different assumptions. And if you deny any of them, you're denying consensus science and you're anti like global warming, you're a denier. But the thing is, the only thing that those consensus surveys have ever said is that CO2 causes global warming and humans have had a major impact on the environment. And the world is getting warmer and humans are a major cause. That's it. There's never been a consensus science on is the world getting warmer bad? Right. Like you think that'd be a really obvious, important question. It's like, well, if it's getting warmer, but that's good because, you know, actually the way global warming works is that the ice caps warm up first. So the areas that are too cold to live in get warmer first. And actually humans do better in warm than in cold. So not necessarily obvious that warm is bad. Right. But no, that's. But well, I mean, so, plants so, grow in warm. They don't grow in cold generally. So, Well, and that's the other big thing is there's this whole argument that so this isn't the thing you'll bring up with someone when you're first debating with them. But later down the road, there is this whole argument that the world was about to end until humans started using fossil fuels. Because once far in the past, when trees first developed, nothing was able to eat trees and they just stored up all of the uh, carbon from the atmosphere within their trunks because they're essentially like plant cement. Nothing can eat them. Um, and I, this theory, I heard it first from uh, Apex Plants. Yeah, I can't remember what his name was, but he is the uh, one of the co-founders of Greenpeace that kind of turned against the movement. You've probably yeah, yeah. I can't remember. He's his been name. on Tom Woods and stuff. Yeah, um, he's the one I heard this from originally, but there's a few others have talked about it, but. The level of CO2 in the atmosphere is dropping dangerously close to the around 200 parts per million where there is mass plant death and everything on Earth dies. And then some uh, white rot uh, mushroom, white rot fungus developed Mm -hmm. that could actually break down trees, broke them down, release the carbon back in the atmosphere. World was saved. Now we have- I love mushrooms. Yeah, mushrooms are great. Now we have shellfish that they um, hide their- bodies in their shells. And when they break down, they're hidden by their shells. And all of a sudden we have all of the carbon in the atmosphere is getting hidden in like limestone deposits. And the world was actually approaching the 200 parts per million CO2 that would lead to mass plant death and global extinction. And instead humans started breaking it apart and burning it and releasing that CO2 back in the atmosphere. And we've seen over the last 40 years, more like that, the net increase in green is bigger than the entire Amazon rainforest over the world. And even places people aren't planting stuff, there's been a massive increase in green from more CO2 in the atmosphere. So, like, it's not all like it could be bad, but it's not yeah. obvious. It's not settled. We can't know it in advance, but everyone assumes we do. Yeah. It's all about the mal priorities. Yeah. Or other things are like, people are like, oh, all this nature that you know was given to us perfectly. It's like, you realize that all the nature you're looking at was already changed by humans. Like the only reason that there are a bunch of big forests in North America is because humans killed off all of the mammoths that were keeping the forest down. Like it used to be all plains and grassland until humans came through and killed off the mammoths and other large creatures that were keeping it as planes. Well, and uh, just in general, their time horizons are are just ludicrous in the first place. Because as always, you go back far enough, we're not the first species to to affect the planet like like, like we do. Like things have made other things go extinct since the dawn of time. It's never going to stop. And if, if nothing else, meteors can make things go extinct. Yep. So it's like, why is it obvious that we have to give up? You know, why do we have to quit trying to do the thing that makes us human, which also makes us an animal because every other animal does the same shit? You know. Yeah, you've heard the thing of if if an alien came to Earth, they wouldn't say, "Oh, that's so unnatural." They'd say, "Oh my goodness, they have the biggest nets. Look how successful this species is." Interesting, <laughs> right? Like we're just really big ants. Yeah. And then even with some of those stuff where they talk about humans being awful, it's just like you said, things just happen all the time to destroy just as much stuff. Like all the people that freak out over an oil spill and how awful that is and don't realize 
that they're just natural oil seeps that do like 80 times the biggest oil spill in world history every single year. Where's that at? That's something I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, in general, I don't like the, the, for the fossil fuel industry for other reasons, but not, not because of what they do to humanity, mostly because they're shitty companies. Yeah, and they're too no, that's, and they're too involved in government. No, they're not great companies, and also now they're like hopping on the unreliable green energies bandwagon. Yeah, but no, there's a there's some sediments offshore in the Santa Barbara Channel, so it's not like one specific one. It's like a lot of small mm-hmm. ones, but it's putting out like eight to eighty times the amount of oil spilled in Exxon every year. That's crazy. Yep, and. No one's ever talked about it or people don't talk about like the, what is it? Cuyahoga river in Ohio, the river that caught fire that got on like TV and made all this crazy news. No one talks that. And then they say that the clean water act saved us. And it's like, you realize every year before that it caught fire more than once and beginning cleaner every year before the clean water act. Well, in general, like that's one of the things, if you have a good resource on that, I'd love it. The fact that in general, most of the clean water and clean air acts, they just jump in front of shit that's already happening because people want it that way. No, that's a, it's a very common government trend. Yeah. It's hard to find an area where that's not the case. Take credit for stuff that people are already doing and they make it seem like you're the one that did it. We ended child labor. How many children? There's like <laughs> one left. <laughs> Me like, is it, is it, is that on purpose? Is it is that a purposeful thing, or is it just that that's kind of the nature of the of the beast? You know, I that, think it's that they're too afraid to do anything that upsets interest. So you wait until consensus already agrees, and then you're like, "Here we are. Look what we did." Like Obama, and we just lap it up. Just Obama and gay marriage. As soon as it hit like fifty-seven percent approval rating, he switched on over and like I've secretly been for it the whole time. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he secretly was for it the whole time. Like he's that kind of yeah. person, but you could have mentioned it. Yeah. All right. Well, any learn this, and then I'm gonna get annoyed editing it. <laughs> but uh, it has been a lot of fun having you on here, going through these ideas with us, Drake. Oh, happy to do it. I've got a bunch. I got the links to uh, Freedom Tunes, so they can go and watch somebody else's thing that you occasionally help with. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely have you on in the future to talk about some other topics because you definitely are, yeah, seem like somebody sure. who's knowledgeable, and you're not a cantankerous old guy like us, so that's <laughs> useful as well. I'm getting there. Give me time. You you've got another decade <sighs> yeah, plus before you least, catch up to us. At least, yeah, decade plus. Well, so, with the, uh, how dirty the environment is now, it's going to age me a decade in a year or something. You're going to be dead by the time you're our age. Yeah, exactly. All those free radicals, brother. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Drake. Thank you so much. As for everyone else, freemarketsgreenearth.com. You can check us out. This is episode number 47. And go. Enjoy nature. Peace. Enjoy it. Take a hike. Love it. podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. Free Markets Green Earth is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and This Week in Liberpods. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.